This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Navigating a public image can be challenging. Whether you're building a brand, rebuilding your reputation, or just trying to get on the radar. Image is everything. Everything. You need the public to trust you. But does the public trust anyone anymore? And has it ever trusted public relations? Welcome to Deep Dive, powered by Coldwater Communications, a 12-part series that explores, exposes, and explains the reality of public relations. I'm your host, Tamara Stanners. Let's face it, PR has a bad rep these days. Instead of public relations, it's often viewed as the first two-letter words of propaganda. PR practitioners are often seen as the puppet masters working behind the scenes to spin a situation to their advantage or to dupe the public. Ironically, the PR industry itself could use a healthy dose of positive public relations. Theodore Jean has worked across various sectors of the PR industry for more than a decade and is the founder of Coldwater Communications, a PR agency based in British Columbia's Sea to Sky region. Welcome, Theodora. Let's dive in. Okay, Theodora, why does public relations have such a bad reputation? Well, I think the leading reason for PR's bad reputation really stems from the fact that it seeks to influence public opinions. And that in itself can really sound like mass manipulation. The way in which PR people are typically portrayed in pop culture doesn't really help either. They're often the people that are called in to clean up reputations or or hide the messy or inconvenient truth. But is that a reality that is reflective of most people who actually work in PR? Absolutely not. And in fact, most people I know who work in the PR industry are using effective communications practices for the greater good. So maybe therein lies the distinction, you know, it's in terms of reputation, public relations is bad and strategic communications is good. Um, What's the difference? There really is none. PR professionals are working to strategically build relationships between their clients and their clients' target audiences, and, and that's it. I think another reason is that sometimes organizations communicate really poorly with the public, And that's either because there are no PR people involved or they just chose the wrong messaging or strategy. So whether it's an absence or a screw up, every communication failure is so much more visible and high profile than success, which is simply expected and goes unnoticed. An example that comes to mind is with Pearson Airport in Toronto and the airlines as well. You know, it's a really complex dance to run an airport and the airlines actually do a lot that people think that the airport does. So it's been obviously a very hard time to restaff after the pandemic killed air travel for a good long while. And now there are major capacity problems and posts on social media every day about delays and planes that can't unload and so on. You know, and it's hard to believe that they didn't know that return to travel was coming. And now people are angry with the delays and not likely to be very sympathetic with the business challenges that they're facing. And some of this anger could certainly have been headed off by preparing or creating messages in anticipation of return to travel that would have sort of mitigated some of the negative impacts. And instead, the response now looks rather uncoordinated and really unprepared. So why do you do it? I do it because I believe that good storytelling and effective communications are really key to our advancement as a society. And that's not an exaggeration. I think that storytelling is a critical driver of social change. And there are so many incredible breakthroughs and advancements taking place in the world that nobody knows about because the people behind them 
either are too busy working on them, don't know how to translate the information into something the general public can understand, or they don't know how to go about spreading the news. And it's such a shame and a missed opportunity. We often say if somebody's doing something truly groundbreaking and nobody knows about it, does it have an impact? Well, perhaps on a select few, but does it reach its full potential? No. Does it get funded? No. Does it get widely adopted? No. Do people show up for it? Heck no. And that's where PR steps in. How do you demonstrate that your work is ethical in a field that is viewed to be anything but? Well, you know, we call ourselves cold water communications and not cold water public relations for a reason. That way we absolve ourselves of any negative notions about our profession. No, in all seriousness, though, ethics really needs to be at the core of what PR practitioners do and how they do it. But I really feel that it's a gray area. And let me explain what I mean. So at the surface, strong ethics in PR um, can very easily be defined as, you know, having honesty, openness, transparency, respect, integrity. Um, And that sounds easy enough, right? But There are so many instances in PR where one may believe to be doing things for the greater good, but really who are we to decide what's in the public interest? And how do we know that our clients or our bosses are really being truthful with us about the information that we're asked to disseminate? How do you trust the messaging when oftentimes you're not the one behind the data that's used to create it? So ethics and public relations really relies heavily on a personal moral compass, in my opinion. I've worked in PR long enough to see dissenting opinions on the same team about what's right and wrong. And it's not always about something that's very evident. Like let's say um, being asked to do PR for an oppressive government. Um, That's very clear to everybody that it's wrong and so easy to turn down that kind of work. But it's sometimes something as simple as promoting one side of what ends up being a very divisive issue for many people. And nowadays, I find that there are so many divisive issues that we're faced with. For me personally, it's really about finding meaning in the work and honestly believing that it's for the greater good. But it is a deeply personal decision, and it often comes back to the question, is this really the world that I want to leave behind for my kids? When I take on a new client, um, I typically ask myself and the team three main questions. Is the work potentially saving or improving lives? Is this work moving us forward as a society, whether economically, socially, environmentally, or even culturally? And is it possible that we could be wrong about this? And if so, what are the risks? And that's the most interesting question that we ask ourselves that usually um, brings on some kind of a debate among the team. So for example... In some situations, like the recent Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, it can feel like there are no real winners. It was a highly toxic relationship between two people that turned into a very expensive media circus. And quite clearly, a PR agency made money on both sides of the dispute. And we can see which one was more successful. But do we want to be this kind of agency? No. Nothing about either side of the argument really aligned with our core values and our principles. The news cycle is full of bad news and controversy, and it's too easy for attention to get pulled into that direction. For us, we often work with nonprofits that have amazing stories to tell about making the world better. And our expertise and our contacts are that extra little push that they need to get out there. 
So often a good story that would have gone unnoticed gets media pickup because we put it out there and we got it in front of journalists. And that's what we find most meaningful. Do you have any examples of campaigns you've refused due to ethics? I do, but I can't speak to specifics. Although I will say that I have been put in a few bad or uncomfortable situations in the three short years I've been running my agency. And what I find surprising is that sometimes people contact me to help them reputationally after they've broken the law, assuming that, and I quote, well, I thought that's just what PR people do. Like if you throw enough money at the problem, some PR spin doctors will step in and smooth things over for you. Well, maybe there are people like that out there, but I'm not one of them. And those are extreme cases, but yes, there are also others where I feel like a potential client is on the wrong side of an issue, in my personal opinion. And if I don't believe in their view, I really can't help them to communicate it effectively. And this is one of the benefits and the challenges, I guess, of running a PR agency. All the things we work on are guided by my and our team members' moral compasses, and I hold my team members to high standards in that regard. They're not just hired for their skill and their experience, but also for their values, their good judgment, and their ethics. How can the PR industry better promote the good work it does in order to alter its reputation? Well, they can start a podcast for one. But no, really, I I think that we need to start talking more openly about some of the challenges we face within our industry and to showcase the good work that we're doing. I feel like people within the PR industry and certainly in Vancouver know each other and know that we're mostly good people trying to do good work. We have a good reputation among our peers, which is great, but I don't think it's enough. So let's lift the veil of secrecy around our profession and actually explore whether the general public even knows what PR people really do. I'll bet most of them don't. So let's talk about it outside of our own echo chambers and our networks. That's one of the major motivators for us in starting this podcast. Thanks, Theodora. That is a lot to consider. And ultimately, it comes back to trust. Trust is the foundation of public relations. Clients trust their PR team to communicate effectively on their behalf. PR professionals trust the media to present stories or messages accurately. And the media trusts the experts. But who does the public trust anymore? We'll dive in on the next episode of Deep Dive. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. Trust is so important. Our fundamental sense of security in life. Trust has always been far more difficult to earn than it is to lose. You can spend years cultivating trust with someone or something, but it can all be wiped away in an instant. These days, it seems like trust is even tougher to come by. Mistrust in the media. People distrust the news that they get. Trust in our government leaders, trust in governments, trust in NGOs is at historical lows. There's constant debate about who is telling the truth and how much of it is even being told. Bruce McClellan is the CEO of Proof Strategies, a Canadian PR firm that created the Can Trust Index as a means to measure trust in Canada. Welcome to Deep Dive, Bruce. Let's dive in. First of all, how does one go about creating trust among the public? There's been a lot of academic research into trust, and the uh, these smart academics have studied people and organizations, and the conclusion of several studies has been that there's something called ABI, ability, benevolence, and integrity, and those are the three biggest drivers of trust. So ability is, you know, if you buy a car 
does it work? Does it perform well? Does it meet your needs to get you from place A to place B? Benevolence refers to the care and more the soft side of, of an experience. So for a car company, benevolence would be, did they treat me well when I made the purchase? Did they do a nice job of delivering the car to me and make me feel special and help me understand all the features? And then when I need service, do they treat me with respect and courtesy and kindness when I go into the shop? Integrity, you know, as you know, is how people conduct themselves. Are they honest and ethical? Is there a connection of values that drive decisions? And are they clear and transparent? Does the organization communicate its values to me? So those are the three most important drivers of trust. And I think when we talk about them, people readily understand and nod their heads. Benevolence was the word used by the academics, but nowadays I think the more popular word would be empathetic. And we've heard a lot about the importance of empathy during this pandemic. Proof Strategies is now seven years into publishing the Cantrust Index. Yes. I, uh, about eight years ago, decided that there was a need for a tracking study of trust in Canada. I felt that trust was very important and it was under a lot of pressure, but we really didn't have um, a tracking study that was unique to Canada. And trust is very situational. You can't assume that what makes people in Portugal or Germany trust is the same as what makes people in Canada or in the United States or Australia trust. So there's a situational aspect of trust and it's also tied to, to the local values. So we decided that we would create a uniquely Canadian trust study that looked at the unique aspects of our population, as well as included in the study are distinct institutions. You know, we have a governor general, we have parliament, we have the Canada Post, we have the Bank of Canada, we have Indigenous people, we have newcomers, we have Quebecois. There are so many things that make Canada unique. So we tailored our study to be a tracking study of trust in Canada about what makes Canada distinct. And we've now conducted it for seven going on eight years and are creating a really interesting body of knowledge and tracking on trust. So it's a contribution that we make. Um, it helps us be smarter as a public relations agency, but it also is a, a study you just promote. We give it away for free. And every year it's interesting to see who's downloading it and presumably using it in guiding their operations. What trends have you noticed during that span as to who or what the public trusts? Trust is under a lot of pressure nowadays around the world and including in Canada. So when we started tracking trust in Canada initially, uh, almost eight years ago, we found it was fairly stable. And for the first several years, it really didn't budge. But then in conjunction with a couple of things, we started to see a decline. And one of those uh, influencers was the crisis in the oil patch. You know, first the the pressure in the global oil and gas industry, then the tensions around building of pipelines in Canada and whether or not Alberta and Saskatchewan could get their energy products to um, transported to other markets. So we started to see a decline in trust, particularly in Western Canada. And that has unfortunately pulled down the national average for trust by Canadians. And now we have, have a bit of an east-west divide where trust is higher in Ontario and eastward, and lower in Manitoba and westward. And it's not a surprise because trust is often correlated with uh, socioeconomic optimism. So when people are feeling economic threat, 
or economic insecurity, they naturally start to lose trust in many things. So that's what we've been seeing in Canada for the last couple of years. The other big problem, and this is a global issue, is social media. You know, there's there's lots of good things about social media. We can, you know, check it and show pictures of our summer holiday or our grandkids to the grandparents and, you know, all that nice, those nice things. But there's a very dark side to social media and the internet. And we know that there's a lot of um, misinformation, disinformation, deliberately corrupting communications, and it's targeting citizens of democracies, including Canada. So now when we look at the trust landscape in Canada by political preference, we see that the people on the far right or the far left are the least trusting of Canadians. Uh, And a perfect example is the people who vote for the People's Party of Canada, which, you know, in the last federal election was about 7% of Canadians. They have the lowest trust scores that we've ever seen. And it's because they, for whatever reasons, legitimate or otherwise, have become so just disengaged and jaded about everything, the economy, our political system, our political leaders, uh, our institutions, that they're not believing anything anymore. And I, I also, you know, I'm quite sure that they're receiving a lot of hate and misinformation via the internet, which is reinforcing their views. And then, of course, it becomes an echo chamber. How has the pandemic influenced trust? Well, it's been interesting. It's been the best of times and the worst of times for trust during the pandemic. One thing that we saw very quickly was Canadians place enormous trust in medical doctors and scientists. And this is a good thing because these are educated people who are driven by facts, making decisions based on facts and statistics and and real knowledge. And They've always been well-trusted by Canadians, but when the pandemic hit, we saw a spike in trust in these two groups to really stratospheric levels that we'd never seen before. That's good news. The problem is that people have been worn down by the pandemic. You know, it's gone on. There have been wave after wave. The great promise of vaccines, it came. Over 80% of Canadians got vaccines. That's high trust in vaccines. That's, That's great. And it links to that trust in science. But people kept getting sick. Restrictions remained. Even now, there are you know requirements for testing and things that you have to do before you can travel or go to certain places or send your kids to camp. So people are tired. And we've seen pandemic fatigue translate into lower levels of trust. Not so much for science scientists and doctors. They're not quite at the same high level as they were, say, in 2020, but they're still high. But there's been a real decline in trust in government. And I think people are are just really tired and fed up. This year's study finds that trust in government at all levels is down significantly. Uh, What kind of problems does this create as we try to move forward as a country? Let's, you know, be clear that there's still a lot of Canadians who do trust our institutions and our system and our our leaders. But there's a, a growing small minority at the right and at the left who don't have such great trust and who will not regain their trust for the same reasons. So what I mean by that is, you know, we see low trust among people who are supporters of the Green Party. Well, their low trust is driven by fears around um, climate change, by a lack of adequate response by governments or politicians or corporations to address climate change, by pessimism about the state of the world's environment and where it's going. 
or what might be coming. But then on the right, you've got people who feel that government is too intrusive, who don't want to pay taxes, who don't want to be vaccinated, who don't want to uh, have to um, register their vaccine records before taking a flight. Those are two groups on opposite ends of the spectrum where we won't rebuild trust with either of them for the same reason. It'll take different things. And therefore, you know, we'll never have 100% trust in our society as long as um, these kind of views are held. The problem is that social media, you know, runs algorithms that tailor information to reinforce the existing views of people. And if you think that Canada has lost its freedom, Facebook will be sending you messages about why we've lost our freedom. And it becomes very uh, self-fulfilling and corrosive. That's why I say that trust is under a lot of pressure. It's not easy being trust these days. This one's near and dear to me. Trust in journalists and media has plummeted in recent years. And I think that's contributing to the finding that more Canadians believe our communities have been further fractured during this time span. It's a great point. Uh, and, you know, you're right. We've seen a decline in trust in the media. It actually started well before the pandemic. It has been fueled, I think, by the pandemic, and the decline has steepened. But the decline in trust in the media goes back before uh, 2020 and COVID-19. There's so many reasons behind it. The pressures on the news media, you know, the fact that Google and Facebook have been vacuuming up all the advertising revenue in the world, causing traditional news outlets to either have to reinvent their business model or, in many cases, go out of business. As they've reinvented their business model, most of them have had to slash their newsrooms and staff. So I think that the public are seeing that the news media is operating as a shadow of its former self, often you know, with less senior experienced journalists, often with fewer journalists in order to cover the news, and also having to sort of contort its behavior to compete and this is an area of, of judgment where, you know, I'm not a media owner, so I, I can't be sure of the best approach. But when we see the news media starting to imitate social media, I think it almost is counterproductive to their trust levels because people are starting to think, well, they're not very serious either. So why should I trust them? There's also, you know, the fact that headline writers are being given license to write headlines that maybe attract readers and eyeballs but may be more uh, extreme or hysterical or edgy or, you know, don't help trust and credibility. Sadly, what we've seen happen in politics in the last decade or so has been a deliberate effort by the right to attack elites as they define them, attack the news media, to discredit facts and information to further their own political agenda. So in the case of Rupert Murdoch, you have somebody who has taken over media outlets and made them more of a political voice than an independent news gathering organization. But you've also have politicians like Donald Trump or many, many, many others who don't give a speech without saying the media, don't listen to the media. The media are bad. Um, the media are wrong. The media are lying. It is part of their narrative to discredit the free press so they can build a base of followers who will not be influenced by facts and independent news gathering. It's a really perverse and corrosive way to build your campaign and gain power. But unfortunately, it's been happening now for over a decade, and I don't see it going away. And we still we see it here in Canada nowadays as well. 
trust has become politicized. A person who votes liberal or for another middle-of-the-road party is more trusting than a person who votes conservative. That is unfortunately how trust has split by political um, allegiance now in Canada. People who are voters for even, you know, the Bloc Québécois in Quebec are more trusting than people who vote for the Conservative Party of Alberta, for example. One of the key parts of trust is agreeing on what are your values and how do those values drive your decision-making and your communications? And are you transparent about them? People tell us in our research they are more likely to trust an organization where they feel they share values with that organization. What's the ramification for the public relations industry, which is built on facilitating the process of bringing credible stories to various platforms? Well, it's a great point. Anecdotally, public relations always has had somewhat of a pejorative slant to it where people think, oh, you know, this is a public relations disaster. Or they put the PR guy out there because, you know, they were afraid to talk. You know, it's used in pejorative ways often. When I, I, I just read an article recently where it talked about a public relations disaster, well, it's actually a management disaster. Management made bad decisions that are creating a reputational crisis. That is not a public relations disaster. That is a management disaster. <laughs> but many journalists love to dismiss or belittle public relations. And they do that because of their sense of get to the truth and righteousness. But unfortunately, I don't think they help our situation, even though we try to help them. There's good lawyers and bad lawyers. There's good accountants and bad accountants. And there's good public relations people and not so good or bad public relations people. It's Every profession is going to be like that. I consider myself a trust builder in how I, how I practice public relations. I'm sure not everybody does it that way, though. In this year's study, it's interesting to see the relatively high degree of trust that people have in the leaders of the companies they work for. How does that affect what employees expect from their bosses in 2022? The pandemic has put a real emphasis on empathy for employers in how they interact with their employees. And our CanTrust Index in 2022 showed that employers are doing a little bit better in terms of trust by their employees. That suggests that they have understood the importance of kindness and empathy during this pandemic. It's been a very difficult time. Some people have had to you know, manage their kids at home doing online learning instead of going to the classroom. People have had elder care responsibilities with elderly people who are you know, very vulnerable to COVID and have to you know, receive extra support or extra precautions. It's been a very stressful time for Canadians during the pandemic, and the wise employer has been sensitive to that stress and made concessions and accommodations to support people. Many companies, you know, went to a work-from-home model, but, you know, there are other businesses or government services where working from home is not an option. People need to be frontline in the, in the workforce, in the workplace, so those people have needed other forms of support and empathy from employers. So it would appear that Canadian employers have been doing a good job. Maybe it's our empathetic nature as a people that they've done a better job than we might have feared during the pandemic at showing empathy and therefore building trust. It'll be interesting in the coming years to see if it's sustained and continues or even can grow. Hopefully the pandemic has made employers smarter 
about how to interact and support their employees. And that's also been fueled by the fact that there's a shortage of labor. Everyone, every industry I talk to is having trouble filling all their vacancies. So that makes employers hopefully a little more in tune and savvy about how they can keep their people happy and not see them go to a competitor or even leave their entire industry. So there's there's been a few pressures underway in the last two years that should make employers think more carefully about how they interact with their employees and find ways to build their trust. That would include employee surveys that get at trust, you know, asking employees about their values, asking about what they'd like to see in the workplace, asking about their confidence in management, their confidence in their own manager, as well as the CEO. Building trust is a team sport. It is not the CEO's job alone. The CEO must model the behavior, must be clear in what they're doing and walk the talk and build trust themselves. But our research tells us that trust is also very much tied to the person's interaction with their own direct manager. So the CEO's job is to walk the talk and model trustworthy behavior, but also to train every single manager in the organization to lead a trust-building approach in how they interact with the people that report to them. Only then will you have a trustworthy organization as a whole. Thank you so much for joining us, Bruce. This has been an eye-opening conversation about the current state of public trust, and it leads me to another complicated question. If public relations is constantly working to influence the way the public views a story or to influence the public's behavior, can PR ever truly be ethical? Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com. 